Hello and welcome to the Tandem Collective Talks podcast. Tandem Collective celebrates books, film, TV, podcasts and more with our global community. We're Jen, Jade, Lucy and Lex, members and friends of Team Tandem. You might already know us from Instagram or TikTok, but if not, it's great to meet you and welcome. We're here to chat to you about what's new in the world of books, publishing and film, interview some of your favourite authors and hear your thoughts on what you're reading and watching at the moment. You can find us at Tandem Collective UK on Instagram and also Tandem Collective Global. Hello everybody and welcome to the final episode of our first season of the Tandem Collective Talks. We're thrilled to be wrapping up today with a bumper episode. You'll notice that this is a little longer than our usual. Today we are dedicating some time and learning to diversity and inclusion within publishing, online communities and the media that we consume. Today you're here with me, Lex, and I'm joined by two of my fellow podcast hosts, Jade and Jen, and some individuals that will be new to the podcast, but not new to you. So here are some familiar voices from Team Tandem. So team, can I get you to introduce yourself? Who are you? What are your pronouns? And why are you here today? So I'm Maya Antoinikwe. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm here today to talk about diversity and inclusion in terms of race in publishing and online and I started a charity about books about racial inequalities because um, I've always found that black representation isn't positive enough so yeah. Thank you Maya. Ashjay? I'm Ashjay at the picture of Ashjay online. I'm a member of Team Tandem and also an influencer in bookish communities online. My pronouns are he, him, and I am here today to talk about diversity and inclusion from the perspective of a queer trans man with ADHD. Perfect. Thank you so much, Ashday. And guys, Jen and Jade are also here. You will have heard their voices before. So Jen, who are you? Hello, I'm Jen. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a long-term friend of Tandem and have recently joined as a podcaster. So I'm here today to talk about the way long-term illnesses and disabilities, whether they're mental, physical or invisible, are represented. I'm also bisexual, so proudly part of the LGBTQ plus family. Thank you, Jen. And last but not least, Jade. Hi, I'm Jade. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm here to chat about um, my experiences of living with fibromyalgia, which is a chronic illness and known as an invisible illness. And I've also had dyslexia for what I've I got diagnosed when I was at university, so quite late, and it still affects me today. So um, it's something that I like to discuss and chat about. Perfect. Awesome, guys. So firstly, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so thrilled to get to have these discussions with you. But as someone who doesn't fit into the minority groups mentioned today, I'd love to hear about the experiences from around our digital table on diversity and inclusion, where you lovely lot belonging to marginalized communities have had to teach or remind others on how they need to be handling their publishing, communication and representation moments to be both inclusive and diverse. So Maya, as Tandem's diversity and inclusion officer, would you please kick us off with some feedback from your own experiences? 
Yeah, sure thing. I even forget that I am Tandem's Diversity and Inclusion Officer. That's literally my entire role. (laughs) Um, So honestly, it's a weird one because prior to these conversations coming up in 2020, my experiences were very different in terms of teaching and reminding people how to be inclusive and diverse because it sort of fell on, you know, like it was like talking to a brick wall (laughs) a lot of the time. And now it's seems to be getting through to people a lot more to the point where it's what I do for a living. But prior to that, there was always a case of telling people what microaggressions were, but not knowing they were microaggressions. They weren't called microaggressions. It was just things that Black people didn't like. And this often came across as us being aggressive, us being fussy, sensitive, down to... Things like not wanting people to touch my hair, not wanting people to call me certain things, to, you know, behave a certain way around me, um, say certain things around me or at all. And it's so interesting that people are so much more willing to open their eyes to what Black people have been experiencing forever. And I think it's become a lot easier and it is a lot more comfortable now for me to tell people when I'm offended by something or when um, someone's doing something wrong and know that it's likely I'll have the support that I need to bring this up and to tell people that it is wrong not to do it again. Tandem especially have been the reason why I'm now into diversity training. So I actually teach companies, teachers, um, institutions of any type about these things, what black people go through and with something like publishing that is a white dominated industry this is super important in terms of representation because that's something that people don't really realize it's a case of how black people are being shown in books and this goes across to film into things like adverts it's such a wide issue And in publishing specifically, it's not just down to the authors you're reading, but what you're reading, the content that you're reading. Because if the only time you're reading books by Black people, it's nonfiction and it's about racism, they're not taking into account the effects of the fictional characters as well. Because if all of the fiction books you're reading about Black characters, they are, you know, they're into drugs, they're gang members, they're doing horrible things, they're experiencing horrible things, they're experiencing racial trauma, police brutality then this is how you project that onto the Black community in real life. So, yeah, I think it's been really great to see the the growth that's happening slowly, but obviously there is still a long way to go. <laughs> Maya, I think we spoke the other day about, and it's really interesting to think, even in a company so inclusive as Tandem, that you are the only Black person in this conversation. Yeah. And that's representative of so much of the publishing industry mm. that, as much as we say we're trying to be inclusive and, and, you know, we're trying to make those steps in the right direction, you Mm. really are still in kind of the minority in the publishing industry. Do you think that, do you think we're moving towards change in, in that sense? Or do you feel sometimes that we are just saying the right things, but not putting change in place? I think a bit of both. I am seeing with more black people being published, I'm seeing more younger black people, say things like well what's publishing about what kind of things go into publishing and it's not necessarily even that 
we obviously we want more <laughs> black writers, but it's not even necessarily that the point is, you know, we need more black authors. We need more people behind the scenes that are editing and that are doing the hiring and the marketing and so many things that go into publishing. And I, before joining Tandem, I had no intention of going into the publishing industry because I had no idea what it was. I didn't read that much. I didn't know what went into publishing. I literally thought that authors went to like, walked in and was like, can you sell this? And they were like, yeah, sure. (laughs) I literally thought that that's what publishing was. And it's the fact that it's these kind of opportunities and industries aren't explained to black people and they're not, you know, introduced to young black children because it's not an industry that welcomes them. So when it comes to being, you know, the only black person in a marketing agency, like we're quite small. So I'm even some people even like I'm surprised that there's a black person there at all because you know the smaller it is the less likely it is for them to be there to be anyone but it is definitely a case of wanting to see more when I'm talking to clients and interacting with people I would love to you know be speaking to more people that look like me and know that more black people are getting these opportunities because as I said that there is such a long way to go um but yeah I think while it is getting better I think it, a lot of it can be slightly performative in how it appears rather than what's actually happening. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And I think you're absolutely right in saying that we need more Black people behind the scenes in publishing, because actually if we have lots and lots of Black authors all of a sudden, but they're all being edited by white people, then in fact that's problematic in itself. Exactly, exactly. Because even some of the books that I've been reading, it's like you can tell that this wasn't, like nobody... Black was in the process before this was put into stores because I'm sort of reading it like there's no way I'm the first person that's seeing a problem with how this was worded or how this was said and that's you know that's the problem is that it can go through and it's the same thing in um, film it's the same thing with tv shows it's all across the board you see companies being you know um, called out on like Twitter for something that's been done and you just think how many people did this have to go through before it was shared with the public and it's only the backlash that has made them realise that it was wrong. There was no one in between that process to tell them not to do that. And if there was, they weren't listened to, which is the problem with being diverse but not inclusive because you'll have like black people and just people of colour on your team, but you won't listen to them when they're telling you that what you're going to do is wrong or what you're doing is wrong. So, yeah, I think that is the big thing. And I think when I first joined Tandem, my first thing was, does everybody know the difference between diversity and inclusion? Because... Diversity is like, yes, you have the you have the people there, you have people of colour, you have people belonging to different communities, marginalised communities, but you're not using them, you're not listening to them. So it's the same as everyone being white. There's no reason for them to even be there at that point. So yeah, I've always said it is way more important to be inclusive than diverse, because if you're going to have the people but not use them, why have them? I think that part of the training that you ran for us really helped me figure out in my brain how I approached different things be it creative wrenches be it reading certain books Mm. and be it even coming to you guys to get second readings of certain topics Mm. Ashjay do you want to talk a little bit about your experiences that have potentially been more teaching experiences yeah the the first thing that came to mind with me whilst Maya was talking was there was a lot of trans YA books that came out last year some really really brilliant books and I will come in with Rex a lot later there was a pattern that we as trans members of bookish online communities were seeing where 
we'd go and request these books on NetGalley and because we as minority creators have smaller platforms because people just don't interact with minority creators as much as they do the white cishet creators or even the white cis queer creators we were being rejected for these books and then they were getting one two star ratings from cis reviewers saying i i, I saw an unbelievable amount of reviewers saying that a protagonist was oh he was one of the worst protagonists I'd ever read and he was so horrible and he was so mean and then I read it as a trans man because his protagonist was a trans boy and my partner who is also a trans man read it and a lot of our friends read it and we were like this is our experience you are coming on here and saying oh I hated this character so so much he was the worst protagonist I've ever read this was a two-star read I can't believe it's getting the hype that it is and it's like but this book isn't yours you shouldn't have requested it in the first place because you didn't have the capability to properly review that book that's another thing is that what Maya was saying about having people behind the scenes that know what they're promoting is especially with arcs the amount of times that I see them go out to reviewers and the very early stages that have absolutely no idea what they're talking about with these characters and it's like these books are so important particularly when it's YA and for younger minority audiences if they get trashed at this stage they're going to be clawing their way back up and they're not going to get into the hands of the people that need it most so it was yeah circling around back to where I was going seeing people being like oh I hated this boy so much and then reading it for myself and being like, well, he was me. Like three, four years ago when I was fresh out of the closet, that that was me. That was the same experience that most of my friends have. And I, I felt like I spent so much of last year just going, hi, I know that you didn't mean for this to come across the way that it did, but you are trashing this book. And for me and for every other trans guy that read it, it was a five-star read because this was us finally seeing our anger and our pain represented on a page and so in reviewing it the way that you did you're making it so that it's not going to get into the hands of the kids that need it most and it just felt like a continuous hey in fact to the point that I had um a message in my notes app that I just changed the title of the book and the title of the character because I'd seen so many people that were my mutuals and that did actively try to be trans allies but just didn't recognize that the reason that this character was so angry and came across as mean and hurtful was because they were going through the pain of being in a transphobic society so young and so that was it's tough when you have to become the sort of educator and prepare yourself for people to try and defend themselves as if you're saying, hey, you were being really transphobic with this review. So you have to try and pare yourself down. It's like, I, I know that you weren't being transphobic. I'm not trying to tell you that you are. I'm just saying, could you maybe rephrase this review, thinking on our experiences and how brilliant this representation is? I think that's a really great point, Ash J. I think there's been a lot of conversation over the past two years with readers being at home more and with more press send outs happening 
calling on PR teams and marketers to expand their blogger lists to include more own voice reviewers, regardless of that marginalized community, to ensure that the right people are spreading the word about certain topics. That's um, the other thing from a reviewer point of view and from an influencer's point of view. The amount of times that I've seen big publishers and big companies only come to us in June, which is Pride Month, and like we don't get campaigns for the rest of the year and then suddenly we've got like a full email inbox because everyone's like, oh, it's Pride Month. Let's let's roll out the queers. Let's bring them in for our campaigns. And I, I know from speaking to a lot of Black and other reviewers of colour that it's the same. It's like Black History Month comes around and suddenly they've got full inboxes. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I never make more money than in Black History Month. <laughs> like, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> and so again, it's a sort of, of like well thank you I, I I appreciate you taking the time to like reach out to me for this campaign and I, I like the fact that you're coming to trans reviewers for this trans book but at the same time please come to us all year round because I know that you're doing these campaigns all year round so just please think about why it is now that you're rounding up and rolling out your campaigns to the queers because it's exhausting because we know exactly why it is we know mm-hmm. that and then that tells us that our only worth as reviewers is in the time where our communities are at the forefront of people's minds. And usually our pain is being flaunted for other people's, in, I, I don't want to say enjoyment, but it is. It is for entertainment. And that's what I've said. Yeah. Like with it, when it comes to like belonging to a marginalised community, it's a thing of because we are marginalised, the majority don't know our experiences so it's something to capitalize off for them because it's like not many people know about this so let's take it and make it into something that most people can enjoy because if we tell them the truth they won't enjoy it and they won't pay for it so it's turned into entertainment which is you know done at our expense but then it doesn't matter because we're marginalized so if we take away our money from it it won't make a difference because we're not the ones that are funding them anyway so it's in terms of you know inclusion the these communities whether it's black whether it's lgbtq plus needs to go all the way up to the people who are making the decisions rather than just being you know the social media sort of voices for it thank you maya thank you sj jen and jay do you want to jump in on your experiences yeah so i think kind of similarly to ash jay i've had the same problem of reviewers kind of not getting access to to books that are probably relevant to them, but I've experienced it in the way that it's gone out to the mainstream public and been released and maybe had excellent reviews from people who have not much idea about what's in it that's hurtful. And then it's landed with me and I've read something and I've just thought, this is absolutely horrendous. Uh, There's an example I won't name, which you know about Lex, which was a Richard and Judy book club pick, which made me feel incredibly sick. And I recently spoke on my Instagram about another horror book that I'd really looked forward to. I'd seen fantastic reviews about it. It's a gorgeous book, great premise, brilliant writing. And then the author, who could have done so much better and is actually a teacher of writers as well, had his scary people use prosthetics and makeup to make themselves look disfigured 
to be scarier. And I just thought that's that's so lazy and this has completely ruined the book for me. But because nobody else who maybe had the same sensitivities that I have had read it beforehand, it wasn't something that had ever come up in online reviews. If a sensitivity reader, reader had read it, they would have been able to say, no, the way you're speaking about how people look and the words you're using to describe what he was calling disfigurements is absolutely not acceptable. But I think in some ways, that kind of thing is easier for me than it is for Ash J. And I can absolutely understand the upset and the rage that Ash J feels. I think I come at it as a slightly different perspective. So I've got long-term mental health issues, which I don't speak on so much. And uh, I'm a part of the LGBT community. But I come to speaking about disabilities and facial differences and scarring and hearing loss and all these kinds of things as a mother. And as I think I said to Jade yesterday, it's always so much easier to advocate for somebody else. So because I see these things written and instantly think about, you know, my child, my baby, I'm instantly in mama tiger rage mode. But I think somehow that kind of makes it easier for me to be able to say what I need to say really publicly and make sure the right people know. I think that is an excellent example as well, because... When it's books that, again, I'm not going to give them any time, but there's a lot of adult fiction that is incredibly transphobic. And I don't speak on that as much because I know that I'm just speaking for myself and other trans adults when I'm speaking on that. And usually there's bigger trans people that have already done it. And so I can just leave it to them. But when it's people particularly coming at trans YA books, the rage that I feel for all the kids that I see is because... I came out when I was 13 in British high school. I was out for the rest of it and it was not a pleasant time because the British public are incredibly transphobic. So when I see people either attacking trans YA books or YA books that are incredibly transphobic, it's just an instant rage for all of those trans kids that deserve to see themselves. And I become a sort of like the the sort of trans superhero that I didn't have. It's so much easier. But when you think about somebody else, particularly people growing up with those experiences, you think, no, I know how hard this is. I'm just not going to have it. But when it comes to speaking out for yourself, it's just that bit tougher. It's only been the last handful of years, really, that I've been able to read about people that have a chronic illness like mine, like fibromyalgia. When I was... It must have been like six, maybe even more years ago that I first started getting ill. And I was in and out of hospital, having lots of like tests and I was really, really poorly. I was desperate to read about other people and like what I could have, what could be going on with me. I was chucked loads of different things like by different doctors because no one really knew what was going on. And I felt really, really lost. And it's only been, like I said, in the last handful of years that I found books. I'm going to start dropping some book book titles now. Um, Get a Life, Chloe Brown by Talia Hibbert is literally one of my most favourite books. And the representation in that is amazing. The main character is black and she has fibromyalgia. And the experiences that Chloe goes through it's it's just spot on and it's just so well done and after I read that I was like oh my god like that that explains exactly how I felt yesterday 
like how Talia like has written that sentence is spot on and yeah it's it's quite sad to say that it's only been recently that I've found books and more and more books are coming out that have characters that have fibromyalgia or maybe the author has fibromyalgia or other chronic illnesses so yeah I I do wish that kind of that was available more when I was first going through the whole diagnosis period which was a long and like hard time but touch wood I haven't read anything recently that I've felt wasn't quite right so hopefully I don't come across that but um it would be nice to see even more of that sort of representation see it's really interesting because I when I was younger I was the biggest bookworm and that it to the point where it drove my family insane because it would be like, oh my God, where's Maya? And I'm in a random corner in a supermarket with a book I just found somewhere. And like, I loved it so much, but then it slowly got to a point where I couldn't really connect with anything the way I could with films where I could, you know, see little black children. And like in the books I was reading, I wasn't reading about little black children. It was always about white girls and white teenagers and their experiences. And then I just stopped reading when I was maybe 12 or 13 and literally did not finish a book until between being 13 and 2019. Did not finish like a full book unless it was for maybe school or like education of some sort because there was nothing that really pushed me to do so because I think like well why am I reading this I don't really get it I don't really connect with it and you know it feels like a chore at this point and then someone told me about Queenie and I was like "Mm, what do you mean it's about a black British woman growing up in the UK and she's about my age and going through my experiences and it's not about trauma what do you mean that doesn't that doesn't sound right and then I read that and I was like wow like there are books that are like this that you know that I can connect to and relate to And then it became a lot easier. But then in that, I started reading books that I that weren't done quite so right. And I'd be like, wait, so which one is it? Are we getting better or are we not? I don't understand because it would be a thing of, okay, let's put black representation in this book. But the only black person in the book is a drug dealer. And it's like, (laughs) okay, well, yeah, you're right. There's a black person in the book. But, you know, there are a million films about this and we've seen this trope before and like it doesn't need to be done like this and only I don't know only a few months ago I was diagnosed with autism and ADHD and it made a lot of sense like growing up but now it's even harder to find representation of myself because that's not something to the point where I went to my therapist for a completely different reason and she was like it's obvious like straight away but it's not even something that was mentioned to me growing up to the point where I've never seen or heard about a woman an adult especially a black woman adult (laughs) that had autism or ADHD I didn't know that was a thing and all of the research I found about it has been through finding people on social media so yeah all of the books I've read about autism have been by white women or white men and even though they're helpful a little bit in understanding myself it's still a thing of you know like okay that's how you got that diagnosis or that's how that affected you but that's not going to affect me the same way even down to um I read something about a man realized being diagnosed with ADHD so he went to his doctor told them they gave him a referral got him his medication and he's been doing great since then I went to my doctor with it and 
she said, yeah, we're not going to put you through to a referral because I can't see signs in you that you've got ADHD. And I said, yeah, but my psychotherapist has. And she was like, yeah, but I'm a GP and I can't see it. And it's like, well, I can't find the books. My doctor won't help me. How am I supposed to like learn about this or make myself better if, you know, I've never seen how anyone else has dealt with it and I can't find it because it's not something represented in books or film really. So like, as Jade was saying, like the representation of invisible illness in books in anywhere is something that is so it's either you know like silent or it's the same kind of representation over and over again if that makes sense so yeah I think there's so many avenues to diversity from you know like all the reason that we're all here is for a different reason and one person could have all of those things if that makes sense you know like one person could have chronic illness be black be trans and imagine how the world will treat them when you know like some of us only struggle with one of them and we're struggling with that so the cross-sectional you know aspect of it I think is also super important because I've wanted to read Get a Life Glory Brown for so long and I can't find it anywhere like it's never in local bookstores and the main reason I wanted to read it was literally because I heard that it had the representation of a black woman with chronic illness and I thought I don't I don't have chronic illness but I want to read about that I want to you know find out about that because that wasn't even something I knew about and it's a black woman so like this is going to be a really interesting read but on the other hand you have people that are like "Mm, I don't relate so I'm not going to read it and that's where I think the disconnect is I'm sending you a copy yeah (laughs) and also one of the uh I think the most recent I can never remember which sister is which but the most recent brown sisters book the the brown sister is a black woman who is autistic yeah, that's Eve Brown, is it? The last one. Yeah. Mm. Oh my gosh, this is a podcast that no one can see, but my arms are up in excitement. <laughs> <laughs> so um, seeing as you guys are already throwing out all of these amazing recommendations, segueing from moments of teaching to moments where you've seen active listening and learning taking place, do you guys have any examples of campaigns or individual moments or individual people that you've noticed have done particularly well, whether that's they've surprised you or they've set the bar higher for others to climb to? Ashjay, do you want to kick us off here with a more celebratory note? Yeah, I I was sat thinking on this because I feel like a lot of my life as a trans reviewer is just like, transphobia, transphobia. (laughs) It's like, right, okay, let's stop. Let's let's think about joy for a moment, which is a nice break. And then I realised, like, smack you in the face, obvious. It was She Who Became the Sun by Shelley Parker-Chan because I saw that, and I'm not a fantasy reader at all. I am a diehard romance reader. It is very rare that I read anything else. And so it wasn't initially a book that piqued my interest, but I kept seeing it everywhere. And it was like all of my mutuals on BookTok especially were reading it and loving it and talking about it. And it that went on for a solid two or three months before I found out that the main character is non-binary and one of the other sort of main side characters is a trans man. And it was just sort of a, whoa, okay, I've, I have now read it and I loved it. And it is one of my favourite books now. But it was sort of, okay, so I have seen this book be promoted 
everywhere. It has the incredible trans rep, and yet it wasn't held up as a trans book. And that was just a moment of, whoa, okay. So we're now finally in a place where our stories can just be, and we can just exist as trans people in books and have all these other incredible adventures and stories. And that was a moment of, whoa, okay, yeah, like proper. Again, you can't see because we're on a podcast, but I have a bigger smile on my face right now just thinking about it. Because I just, I like being able to see us exist and I want to see that so much more. And I'm hoping that we will get that. And another was I got an arc for Acoustics by London Price, which is a romance book that is about a relationship between a cis man and a trans man. And it's written by a cis woman. So when I got the arc, I was like, I really want to read this. It sounds amazing, but I'm terrified. And trans listeners will know the feeling of like, okay, so this is this is a trans character written by someone that isn't trans. Is it gonna is it gonna be good or is it gonna be absolute train crash? awful and it was amazing it was the best experience of a white adult trans man that I have ever read and it was like whoa okay so someone's obviously done a hell of a lot of research here to understand this experience and has put it to paper in a way that even I couldn't do justice to I've lived that life and again it was just a proper like cheesy grin book is so good you're going to be filling up so many TBR baskets. I can already imagine all of the listeners adding everything in. Jen, did you want to add to the list? I mean, I think from my perspective, I'd love to add to the list, but we're not quite there yet. So the charity Changing Faces have done an amazing campaign this year, sparked by the most recent James Bond film, which has had, I think it's seven in a row James Bond films, which have had a baddie with scarring or a facial difference. Uh, So Changing Faces started a campaign called I'm Not Your Villain, because it was found that only one in five people with a visible difference have seen a character who looks like them on film or TV, Um, but nearly double that, 39% have seen someone with a visible difference cast as a baddie. And it's been really nice to see various people signing up for that campaign. So the BFI, the British Film Institute, have really backed it. So at the moment, there's not a lot in kind of films, in TV, or even in books that I could say they've done this really well. Um, Wanda is fantastic by RJ Palacio. But yeah, we've got a, a way to go yet. I think that's a really relevant point because, Jade, you mentioned something similar in your feelings about the subject, didn't you? Yeah, I um, saw Jen Campbell on Instagram share a really good post all around that, like when James Bond came out and everything. And it wasn't until like that conversation started that I, and I hate that it took me so long, but it wasn't until then that I was like, hang on a minute, this has been going on for so long and yet it's it's completely shocking and I'm I'm mad at myself that it wasn't something that I noticed. It just didn't sit right with me at all. And then after that, I've watched um, like reviews on things like, correct me if I'm wrong, because I know there's some Marvel fans on the podcast. The series on Disney Plus, Hawkeye series, and the representation of Hard of Hearing on that and how that's actually made me want to watch it because apparently the representation is done quite well but correct me if I'm wrong because I haven't watched it has anyone else watched it 
I haven't watched it, but I have to say that people who are kind of hard of hearing or have hearing loss are starting. I see progress in them being represented. I think we had was it a dancer on Strictly this year who was deaf. Mm. Uh, there's a children's she TV won. series. Amazing. So we're seeing that a lot more. And I'm hoping we're going to move away from just kind of lazy insults. Like when people check out, like, are you deaf? Yeah, because yeah. some people actually are deaf. So I think we're seeing progress there, definitely. Mm. And the only time I've ever seen like fibromyalgia in in particular on TV was Lady Gaga's documentary. So she was like diagnosed several years ago and she did a documentary where she like filmed her day to day and her going on tour. And there were moments when she was really not well, but she had this physio specialist with her on tour who was giving her like injections and stuff like that to help the pain but to see her there was one moment in particular where she was in so much pain and like I got really upset watching it because I was like I have definitely felt like I've been in that sort of pain and I've been crying unable to stand up and people just don't understand like that feeling of I've been in the bath before like having a shower because we've got a bath shower and my boyfriend has had to like come and help me like I've been in that much pain and um, to so to see that on a documentary was really in a weird way really good because I felt like I could relate to that experience but I'm yet to see anything can like film or tv program like that covers that i have i don't even think i can recall any other like emmy or things like that that i've seen like on tv or anything it's really interesting that whole conversation because i studied film at uni and um when it comes to um the conversation on the james bond films we did a whole part of my module was on you know like horror and villains and things like that and down to one thing that one of the main things that goes into creating something to scare people is something that they're not used to so for example slender man seeing a seven foot figure with no face and really long arms would slightly worry you if you saw it following you in the woods so like when it came to that it would we talk about you know people like the traditional alien shape and things like the space raiders kind of shape and the you know huge black hole out of a face kind of thing but then there would be the conversation on just having a face that's like disfigured in any way shape or form and I read Wonder when I was in school I was in secondary school early secondary school um it's actually one of the last books that I read before my like five-year book hiatus and um I loved it so much because I'd never thought about that I'd never like thought about you know like what it'd be like for a child you know to grow up being told that they're like well seeing that they're so different and things like that and then it was when the whole conversation at my uni happened about that and someone mentioned you know like disfigured faces and things but it wasn't in a negative way that they were saying it it was just a factual thing like that's what they do in films to scare people and wonder instantly like came to mind and I was thinking like but that wasn't a horror and it was like just regular representation of a child who was going through that 
and it wouldn't have scared people. So why, when you put it in a horror setting, suddenly it's acceptable to, you know, like scream at it and say like, ah, like it's, that's how people live. That's people's lives. And like, like Jade, I admit it took me too long to realise that this was like being weaponized in cinema. And it's a similar thing that I've found with race in that like the only time you might see black people on screen, it's like they're not necessarily a villain, but they're just a horrible, bad person. They're, you know, like you're meant to dislike them. You're meant to fear them. And then when they die, it's like, oh my God, thank God they're gone. Like that's that out of the like picture kind of thing. And yeah, I think I've I'd never really connected it to like physical disability like that. It is really interesting, Jen, like that whole conversation on that, because it is something that film really needs to work on, really needs to work on. It really is. And it's horrible to think about because even if the person consuming this media is a really good person, they think they're really open-minded, the more they consume this media that's giving them these messages over and over again, subconsciously, you're going to start hearing and believing those messages, especially if we're teaching them to our young people. And I think that applies to all of the things we're talking about here, like it being portrayed like that in the mainstream media, whether that's books, film or TV, it's just not helping anyone. The thing that came to mind just then was, and I think the most famous example of it is the Danish girl, casting Hollywood and like film in general, love casting really famous actors who are men to play trans women and really famous actors that are women to play trans men. And it just, it's repeatedly recycling the whole cis people see us as women who are dressed as men or women who want to be men and vice versa with trans women until you either have a cis man playing a trans man and a cis woman playing trans woman or I know it's a long shot but or having trans people playing those roles you're just gonna keep contributing to how transphobic society is and how people see us in society because that's how they get their knowledge of the trans experience i think back on the like recommendations thing my whole like company is like the only books that i sell or give away are either by black authors or they have black representation in them or they're about you know anti-racism and representation and it was so interesting when i first started it all of the books that people were sending in i'd never heard of never heard of never seen before did not know they existed and it was so nice to be able to give them a platform um down to kids books you know and this is the thing like giving children books where the characters look like them they're going to be so much more comfortable in themselves growing up and I never had that I didn't really have books with little black kids in them it wasn't really a thing so um it's really nice to be able to front that but on that topic I've mentioned Queenie earlier that was the book that made me think you know like books with black people in them don't have to be about trauma (laughs) wow that wasn't something that ever even crossed my mind before because they all were and you know like since then I've got like a whole bookshelf that I'm like looking at trying to think like "Hmm, what can I recommend (laughs) but um there's just so many that and I think my main push is always if non-fiction isn't your thing read books by black authors with black characters that aren't about trauma it's just about someone living their life they might go through you know the odd microaggression because that's life but it's not about you know 
So you've got so many of these books that are about police brutality, that are about slavery as their like backbone. Just read one about just a black girl who's trying to find love because we exist we're here (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for all of your recommendations team i know that they are so few and far between so hearing testimonials from the media that you love and you want to champion is really really important i have one last question for you and then we will let you go and you can have your evenings if you could sum it up in a one-liner what is the most important thing that you believe everybody should know about your community Jen, do you want to go first? Um, Yeah, so for me, it's that everyone should be able to see people who look or feel as they do positively portrayed in the media. Like, these things are not our sole defining factors. Thank you, my love. Ash, Jay, do you want to add a one-liner? Trans people are human. (laughs) That's it summed up. We're not some sort of alien thing. We are exactly the same as everyone else. The media doesn't like to portray us like that. We just we just want to get on with our silly little life and, and live. And that is that is the bottom line. We're just people. Thank you. And Maya? Um, I always like to say, like, if my skin was different, would you treat me differently? Because it's a thing of that's literally the only difference between us. That's it. And obviously that's the reason for, you know, like racism and the culture and everything. But I'm not saying take that away, but just before you do anything, just think that if you didn't know the colour of my skin, would anything be different? The answer is yes. Then look in the mirror just for a second. (laughs) Jade? My one-liner. People with chronic illness aren't lazy. That's something that I have heard so much Um, Even bless them from family that don't understand the condition. But yeah, if I can't get out of bed, it's not because I'm lazy. It's because I've got shooting pains running all the way up my back and my legs. So yeah, if someone you know or me has a chronic illness and they're not up to standard or they can't get out of bed or they're quitting plans, it doesn't mean they're lazy. So yeah, just accepting it would be amazing. On the back of Jade's final comment i found the same thing with adhd and autism we're not lazy our brains will not let us do what we would like to do yes um, <laughs> i'm not lazy i would love i would absolutely love to do it i it's the same thing where my body won't let me and i can't and i think that's another thing about invisible illness is that you know just because you can't see why someone can't do something mm. you can't assume that it's because of laziness there might be a physical reason or a mental reason and even if there isn't mind your business so <laughs> I was going to say exactly the same as what you just said at the end there Maya that it might not even be physical it might be mental I mean I know with my mental illness the amount of times people haven't understood why I'm not recovering yet it's like well because I'm mentally ill I don't just get to go yeah I'll get better now and then I get better like people just need to have more understanding thank you so much thank you guys so with all of those words of wisdom and those recommendations working their way onto TBRs and watch lists, we will be wrapping up our episode. Special thank yous go out to fellow podcast hosts, Jen and Jade, and Team Tandem members, Ashjay and Maya, for taking the time to share some learning experiences with all of us. I know that I, for one, feel especially grateful getting to learn in such a safe space created by you guys. So thank you again for today. So for all of you lovely listeners, we hope that you enjoyed today's episode and this season. We would love to hear your feedback on the season as a whole and your favourite individual episodes. 
Thank you always for being so willing to celebrate new creative ventures with us. See you in season two.